This is unstructured. Today we are joined by Tommy Griffith. Now, Tommy Griffith is deep into SEO, so don't stop. Don't start running. It's actually going to be very interesting. <laughs> How are you doing today, Tommy? Eric, what's going on? Thanks for <laughs> thanks for having me on the show, and thanks for warning everyone not not to run. That's uh, <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, do you get that reaction sometimes about you know SEO? Because honestly, it's kind of wonky. You mean when I bring it up uh, late at night at the bar and people are running away from me? Yes, I do. <laughs> Constantly. No, no one wants to talk about it at a happy hour. I can't, I can't imagine why. <laughs> but the interesting thing is, and you can disavow me of this if I'm wrong, it is one of those boring things that is extremely powerful if you bother doing it. So, I mean, maybe I'm a boring guy, uh, but I, I, I love it. I love search engine optimization. It's always been a puzzle to me. Um, I played a lot of computer games as a kid, and I feel like I traded my computer games for search engine optimization, right? Like instead of, instead of playing like a, a strategy game or a multiplayer game, I traded for it for like rankings and traffic on my dashboard and things like that. But yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's an incredibly powerful tool that um, that is a really good. Uh, it's a really good way to size up demand, right? How people are googling things is a really good proxy for what people want. So, in that in that case, it's it can be really powerful. Now, you almost have to have the right personality for it, though, don't you? I mean, honestly, the way I would describe it is you're poking a stick at it because you don't really know exactly <laughs> what Google's doing, do you? Don't you kind of have to say, "Oh, well, let's try this and say, oh." That that seemed to get a reaction. Well, let's try some more of that. <laughs> this, this is a really good way to put it. People that are kind of full of themselves and obsessed with themselves would call themselves like scientists running experiments. But a, a, a way more down-to-earth way to describe it would be poking a stick at it. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. There's lots of different other internet marketing and, and kind of like, you know, uh, modern web engineering, like stuff that is more formulaic and it's a little bit more predictable, right? Like... Um, mm -hmm. you kind of know what you're doing when you're like engineering in a certain programming language or you're running Facebook ads or something like that. But yeah, you're right. You are doing, um, a little bit of guessing every time you're doing search engine optimization. And that, that causes a lot of problems in the industry. It makes a lot of people be very black hat about it. It makes a lot of people not trust it. It makes a lot of people not trust the consultants or agencies they hire. So it creates a, a problem, um, kind of for the whole industry. Can can we talk about what exactly black hatting it is? Black, yeah, black hat SEO. Sure, um, yeah, I'm going deep into the the jargon here. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just black hat SEO, really black hat anything in terms of internet marketing. It's basically just breaking the rules, breaking terms of service, sometimes even breaking the law to do certain tricks to to move pages up. In general, black hat tactics were like more popular back in the day and Google and other search engines are continually getting better and better and better and they're, they're less common now. But the basic idea was, is understanding what the search engines are looking for and then doing things that violate the terms, right? So for as one super high level example, um, you shouldn't, links are valuable in search engine optimization. When you get links from other sites, that moves you up. Um, Google doesn't want you to be able to pay for links, right? They want those to be natural. Uh. So one example of black hat SEO is 
emailing people and saying, hey, I'll, I'll give you $100 if you, if you link to me, right? So one tactic among many black hat tactics, but that sort of causes a lot of problems is there's, there's white hat, it's called white hat and black hat ways to, to do search engine optimization. Okay, so uh, a white hat way on that would be, I just did this interview with me and you put a link to this interview on your site and now I get a little more SEO juice because of that, plus I'll have a link to your site from my site. So it's reciprocal links. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, creating content and sort of finding a reasonable way to get a link is a great white hat example, right? Um, or, you know, emailing people and saying, Hey, we just created this awesome thing. I think it would be really helpful for your users because A, B, C, D, and E feel free to link to it if you'd like. And, and if not, that's fine mm-hmm. too, right? Or something like that. But emailing them and saying, here's a hundred dollars link to me sure. is, is the, is the other way to do that. Right? And there's, there's, like I said before, thousands of black hat ways to go about it, but they're very risky. Google's policing them. You can get penalized and, and removed from the index, um, often. So yeah, that's kind of the, um, how the game works. Okay. And in podcasting, I think the example that's starting to really spank people is, um, keyword spamming and titles where my show would be. The Unstructured Entrepreneurial Journey with Gary Vaynerchuk with Marketing by Seth Godin. <laughs> or something to that sort. Right, exactly. The e-commerce store that's discount Nike shoes for, sh- for sale, Nike discount shoes, discount coupon Nike sales for, shoe, for, for sale promo t- 2020, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty common tactic from even the mid-90s. Uh, and, and Google and other search engines are, are much better at understanding that and, and detecting spam. And that generally doesn't work anymore. I know in Apple with podcasts, they're removing people and throwing them out. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of it's interesting. One of the things we, we like to remind people now is that SEO is no longer just Google on your desktop, right? SEO applies to any modern web application that has a search engine, right? So there's YouTube SEO, there's Amazon SEO, there's Pinterest SEO, there's App Store optimization, there's local SEO, there's Yelp SEO, there's even Airbnb SEO, right? Any any modern web application that has to rank things has a, <laughs> a search engine optimization problem, and they all have their own rules. They all have their own metrics they're going for. They all have their own rules as well. You pointing out that um, Apple's removing podcasts that have spammy titles is a great example of S- that's called uh, I guess that would be podcast SEO, right? But there's also app store optimization, ASO, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, yeah, a lot of these sort of verticals, even within companies, can have different rules and different things that they're optimizing for, right? In Google, it might be links. and Amazon, it might be sales. and Pinterest, it might be pins. In, the, in Apple, um, in iTunes, it might be downloads. But yeah, that's a good example of, um, of that platform having specific rules um, for their users. That's interesting. You brought up a site having it, and let's go with Airbnb because coincidentally used to run SEO for Airbnb. I understand. Coincidentally, coincidentally, I did. That's right. Now, in that case, then I never thought about SEO internal to the site. Were you then focused both directions, as in getting Airbnb listed everywhere? You know, having the strongest possible rank it could, but also internally to help people list their real estate that they wish for people to stay in and achieve rankings and fight against black hat, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, so have you used Airbnb? I have not. Okay. I'm guessing. Yeah, so have you? Yeah. 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 So have you, have you seen the site or have a general idea of like, yeah, Think. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way, the way it's laid out, um, right. We have our homepage and then there's a page of search results, right? So you're kind of 
going through those similar to sort of any any um, directory site and then the individual listing right and yeah mm-hmm. so with with search engine optimization at Airbnb um, it was my team's job to make sure we got as much organic traffic to the site as possible and making a lot of those um, a lot of that traffic first time users right call them first time mm-hmm. nights people who book for the first time at a really high level there there was a lot going on but at a really high level yeah there was kind of two core pages we were optimizing for one was our search results page so that's People going to Google and querying vacation rentals, Miami, Lake Tahoe cabin rentals, right? Um, mm-hmm. Apartment apartment for rent in Paris, things like that across 20 different languages. But there was also opportunities for individual listings, right? So um, sometimes there were individual properties where, yeah, we would drive more traffic to those individual listings. To be frank, it was usually a little bit more random and a little bit more rare. Um, mm. I, I would also argue it's a better user experience to be dropped on a page of listings as opposed to just one right. listing, right? The, you're booking your vacation and the likelihood that exactly that place is exactly what you want on exactly those dates, I think is fairly low, right? And so we always thought it was a better user experience to, to drop people onto the, the sort of city or location page. I'm sure. But yeah, in general, it was a massive comprehensive problem of getting getting all these pages indexed in Google and that kind of stuff. So we inevitably did get um, a lot of traffic to to those individual listings, but it was kind of the secondary focus for us. Well, and also if I'm looking for uh, Airbnb in LA, there probably is 10 pages of them. What about the people who actually have the place that they want rented? Do they fight internally to Airbnb to try to, you know, mine might be pet friendly with a, a vegan household, or I, I don't know, maybe there's different parameters that people can use to get higher rank. Yeah, it's a, so it's a really good question. And full full disclosure, right? I I I worked at Airbnb for four years, but I've I've been gone for two years now, right? And I have um, so I'm speaking from experience of two years ago, but. Um, sure. Yeah, so this is going to seem very like meta and kind of inception level, but yeah, so so the SEO team we worked on bringing more organic traffic to the site, right? Uh, mm-hmm. There's different teams at Airbnb that were basically focused on optimizing the sort of user journey and user experience and giving users the best experience they can and getting more bookings, right? And that team is essentially writing the... That's essentially our mini Google. That's our search ranking team, right? right. And they're in the business of, of of figuring out which listings to render because you're absolutely right. When you go to Airbnb and you type in Los Angeles, we show you 20 results how do we determine those 20 results? It's really the, the exact same, not the exact same, but it's a similar mindset that Google would take, YouTube would take, Amazon would take, right. Pinterest would take, right? Which is what's best for the user, what's best for the business, um, how will this work? And if you're logged in, maybe we would use your past history. Um, we have filters and you're exactly right. Like some people are looking for pet friendly or family friendly or has a hot tub or has Wi-Fi or keyless check-in, that kind of stuff. So yeah, so while we were doing SEO on the site, trying to understand what Google's looking for, we had our own engineers optimizing for our users and our business. And then there's Airbnb, Airbnb hosts trying to get into the right. minds of our engineers, trying to get their listing to the top, right? And That's so, why I was thinking that you were actually bathed in SEO of every direction, <laughs> both in, in design. And it might have been helpful to you because you're internal saying, Hmm, what are we looking for? So now you take that same knowledge and go, well, that's probably what Google's looking for too. Or, or we see this problem. I bet you Google sees that same problem. That's exactly right. So yeah, we, um, actually there was a, we, we published on, on the Airbnb engineering blog 
um, guidelines that hosts can use to understand what we look for in search rankings. And I helped <laughs> write that post with the engineers, not because I'm writing any of the code that determines right how we do rankings or the algorithm, but they wanted my opinion on when we publish this, how are people going to try and reverse engineer this, right? Because that's exactly what an, what an SEO would do, right? So I was sort of the, um, like they were the, they were the good cops and I was the bad cops. And they were kind of thinking like, if we say this, what are the SEOs going to, going to think, right? What is this like kind of game we have to play? Because what you, what you don't want to do, it's just so funny putting, going back and forth on, on both directions of this. What you don't want to do is give people perverse incentives, right mm-hmm. to 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 mess with it too too much you you still want um you want them focusing on the high level stuff being a great host giving your guests a great experience right like right. responding really quickly instead of doing things like you know writing a bot to 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 do something right or to okay. to to things like that so um yeah so it was just funny because we were doing seo on our own site but also working alongside engineers that were trying to optimize listings um within airbnb so then you could I guess you could um, kind of promote good behavior in the sense that cleanliness is weighted 20% versus convenience at 2% or something. You know what I'm saying? If you want certain behaviors that are obviously going to be welcome, like good service and cleanliness or whatever, those those rankings from previous guests are going to push that needle more. Yeah, so um, so you're exactly right, Eric. And, uh, and actually – um, actually you, have you thought about becoming an SEO? Because you got to figure it out way faster than the, than other, than, <laughs> than other people have. Yeah, you're exactly right. And those weightings actually apply. I mean, you're talking specifically about Airbnb that applies to a- any search engine, right? Google does these kinds mm-hmm. of weightings for, um, for every on page and off page element is what they call them. How much should we wait having the keyword in your title tag and the heading tag mentioned a couple of times in the copy? What is a link worth versus a faster site, right? Page speed is a factor versus a user mm-hmm. bouncing off the site. Um, what if there's a lot of ads above the fold and it's super slow? Um, what if it's in a certain language? So all these weightings, I mean, this is basically the smartest people in the world that, that instead of becoming rocket scientists, they decided to work on Google's algorithm and they've been doing it for 20 years. And it's basically the culmination of, of that. And so that applies to any search engine. They're doing this at Yelp. They're doing this at Amazon. They're doing it at YouTube. And the basic idea is how should we weight this in a way that's best for our users? And as an SEO, you're kind of trying to reverse engineer that. You're trying to understand what the platform's looking for, and you're trying to understand mm-hmm. what your users are looking for, and then you want to deliver it. That's the basic idea. That's a perfect example. You mentioned the keyword in the title, in the subtitle, in the copy a couple times. But then if you start NLPing it, then they're going to say, okay, wait a minute, this has been mentioned 10 times. So now we're subtracting on this keyword. That's right. Yep. That's called keyword stuffing. Google has a lot of, uh, they had kind of an old um, sort of liaison and evangelist named Matt Cutts. He was like a f- <laughs> famous, famous SEO, the face of Google. And yeah, he has plenty of videos on why keyword stuffing can, um, can eventually hurt you if you do too much of it. Well, excellent. So I want to now move on to what I think is a really cool subject. You were originally at PayPal and then at Air, um, Airbnb. I mean, the top of the world SEO guy doing it all. And you start a side business. Can you take us through the uh, story there? Yeah, sure. So um, I first got into search engine optimization by, by reading Four Hour Work Week and, and getting really fired up about internet marketing. Um, did you ever read Four Hour Work Week and Tim Ferriss? I haven't. I've listened to enough Tim Ferriss. I feel like I've gotten it. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have. Everyone pretty much has it by now at this point. But yeah, it was this book like written 2007 or 2008 that um, that really was the catalyst for a lot of people to build remote businesses. And that's how I got into search engine optimization. I wrote an ebook and I tried to get a really dorky one and I tried to get it to the top of Google. And I did and it worked. I ended up starting... Now, hold on. What... Don't, you're bearing the lead. Let's say, what, what, what was the book about again? No, oh, man. Uh, so I wrote, I wrote an ebook. Um, hopefully no one um, that I respect will, will hear any of this. <laughs> That's not true. Um, yeah, I wrote an ebook on how to start a fraternity. Um, and all I, Tucker Max fans out there, no. That's right, and they all go wild. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I started... A fraternity in college with a bunch of friends of mine and I, and uh, it's kind of started as a joke. And then by the time I graduated, there was like a hundred something guys in it. And in this book for our work work week by Tim Ferriss, he actually recommends, he says, if you have a specific type of knowledge that maybe other people don't have, maybe you can exploit that. And so I used, this is how I got into search engine optimization. I used one of Google's keyword tools and it turned out that 1,500 people a month were searching for how to start a fraternity. <laughs> and so I wrote this 60 page ebook, uh, go, try to get it to the top of Google. It started working. I started trying to sell the book for $10 and nobody bought it. This is the part I, this part I really appreciate. Yeah. So, yeah. Nobody so, bought it at 10. Right. Nobody bought it at $10. I dropped the price to $5 and nobody bought it at $5. And then I increased the price to $47 and 250 people ended up buying it. So that was kind of my intro to internet marketing. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is awesome. That is amazing. And by the way, another part I love about that is there's kind of a um, entrepreneurial hustle porn out there. Have you ever noticed that every course is ending with $7? (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. I mean, apparently there's an... We're going to be guilty of this as well. If you go to ClickMine and check it out, for sure. One hundred percent. But uh, yeah, I mean, apparently, you know, who knows at this point? Apparently, the logic is when you see that sometimes some people their brain will round down. Um, right. But it could also just be that because everyone's doing it now, everyone's doing it, and who actually knows? Um, right. If it works, but it's one of those things where uh, if it, I don't know, big retailers do it. And if it if it's such a small increase in your revenue and it doesn't add even one additional sale, that's kind of everyone's everyone's logic around it, you know. So it's probably super annoying for the average person that doesn't swim in this stuff every day. <laughs> What's well, interesting because everybody knows by now about the nine that you're you know instead of fifty dollars is forty nine ninety nine. So I guess this is some knucklehead who just said, "Well, it's forty <laughs> seven." Yeah, I mean, I I think it's probably some some variation of a tactic getting worn out and people people not believing the nine, so now they believe the seven. But but uh, I I'll tell you right now, I don't know, but we're doing it. So I'm just as guilty as <laughs> <laughs> as everyone I'm claiming is is a jerk for doing it. We're we're just as guilty as well. Okay, well, it's just something I I had to point out because <laughs> I'm malicious. All right. No, I deserve it. I deserve it. You can call me out. You can call me out on, on all of it. <laughs> all right. So now this course that you developed, you've developed as a side project, but it wasn't just a side project. You used it internally as well, if I recall. Yeah. So that dorky ebook was my kickoff in internet marketing. I started a business with a friend of mine that failed miserably, spent a year and a half on it, quit, 
burned all, all my all the cash I'd borrowed from family and friends and then moved out to San Francisco to work the corporate thing. Worked at PayPal for two years managing SEO and then Airbnb for four years managing SEO. And one of the ideas to pay off this debt from the initial failed business was... I had a lot of different ideas. A bunch of them didn't work, but one eventually became search engine optimization training. So at that point, I had been doing SEO for three or so years or four years, got really liked it, really liked teaching it. And I ended up creating this kind of offline SEO course. I would rent out a co-working space and teach an all-day class on Saturday mornings. That ended up being like the right place, right time with this online course kind of revolution we're in now. Made it an online course. And yeah, after a couple after a couple years, but, continued to work on it and and use it in my everyday work. I think you accidentally backed into something though by doing it offline. And I know you've talked about it on other um, podcasts, but it is very interesting, and I think very important that when you did it offline, you were getting direct feedback from people. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, I think it's it's just really interesting thinking back about how everything happened because I did all the things I did correctly was not intentional. <laughs> it was Ooh. it was all accidentally correct. But yeah, one of the and 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 it may have also been because online courses were were kind of hard to create in 2012. It's very easy mm-hmm. now, but it was not easy um, you know, even 7 years ago. And so yeah, I started offline. And especially when you're doing something that has like where your competitors are sort of internet marketing savvy or digitally savvy or mm-hmm. this world now we're in where everyone's behind the screen. Um, it's fascinating how much of an advantage you can get by going offline first. And so, yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. The first version of my business, not only was, was it in-person training and in-person classes, but all my first users were through meetup. I, I used meetup.com mm-hmm. as a user acquisition tactic and was kind of working on the product every weekend. So I was teaching a class every weekend, getting direct feedback from users right then and there. And then by the time I actually put it online, it had gone through 15 or so iterations. And the, the, the V1, quote unquote, um, of the online course was actually much further along than it should have been for a V1. So it was kind of accidentally the right move, you know? I think it's very significant. Um, I actually taught at the University of Arizona Extended U back in the early 80s. And I did like 29 courses over a year. But when you are there and you're tap dancing in front of them, if you're not interesting, you'll see the phones come out and you'll say, okay. Or if you just see people just kind of glazing at you, then you know, you've got a problem in that section. And I don't know if you can get that kind of a, an immediate feedback from just, you know, creating the course and throwing it out there. That's exactly right. Yeah. And um, when you're when you're talking about media and you're talking about like an online course or any sort of media that your users consume, um, the the way to get, if you go the online route, and this was happened with, with a lot of our early competitors, it was a lot of people, they were good at SEO, but they went into their basement, they opened up their screen casting recorder they talked over their slides they open up the google sheets or the excel doc and they walk through things but you only get feedback once you publish your course and then you get that one star review mm-hmm. right that's when you get feedback and that's too late um and you're you're 100 right i mean even in the the tech world where you're creating like a software application or something like that like the, the general colloquial advice is like 
um, talk to your users, figure out what their problems are, that kind of stuff. And when you're in the class, you're 100% right. You do have to do the tap dancing. You do have to make sure you're entertaining enough where the, where the phones don't come out. But you also find really quickly what matters to people, right? So mm-hmm. I, there was a number of situations for me where I would, you know, I would like tell a joke and it would go horrible, right? Or I would explain <laughs> something in a certain way and it, sure. and it went really well. Some things that I thought would be really valuable weren't valuable at all. Some things that I thought weren't valuable at all were really valuable. And, and I got all of that by, by being in person. I also found too, and this is especially true. I, I taught so many courses that I was building the courses the night before teaching. So I was a, a day ahead of the students some of the time. And when the students push back at you and they ask you a question or they challenge you saying, no, that doesn't make sense. And you have to defend your position or your principle. You wind up locking in and suddenly seeing other layers that you might've missed. That's such a good point. Um, and yeah, the big dirty secret for me, the first couple of years was the, the, the fastest, the way I learned SEO was by teaching it. <laughs> I'm sure. The single fastest way to learn anything is to teach it. And that means, yeah, you, you do kind of have to, um, fake it till you make it a little bit in the, in those, in those early days. I mean, of course, of course I had some understanding of it and I was managing search engine optimization at, at one of the biggest sites in the world. But yeah, you're right. Like when you have really smart people that challenge you on things, it, 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 it really gets you back down to the fundamentals and gets you understanding the, the core concepts for sure. And I'm curious with you, Eric, like when you were, when you were teaching back in the day, because this is what, what happened with me that I thought was so fascinating. I was doing curriculum planning. I'm, I also taught at a university and I also was often the night before, even the morning before the, <laughs> the class. Painful. <laughs> Very painful. Yeah. Um, but, I found that so okay so like what at the very beginning I took it really really seriously and curriculum planning and it's all about like how much education is the user going to extract from this and like how valuable can it be but I also what ended up becoming this realization for me was similar to how like my mom would like like how there's like gummy bear vitamins or like my mom would put like mm-hmm. vitamins in my ice cream or something like that I found that like mm-hmm. being entertaining is like the way to secretly teach right I, oh sure and 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 that to me was ended up being really valuable was like the classes actually became kind of more of a performance than anything was that similar with you mm-hmm. as well it's that or or making something cool like i taught flash remember flash oh yeah flash was big <laughs> way back flash then. was huge yeah for sure i loved flash i mean flash is actually very every- seo unfriendly nowadays but but yeah it was big back in the day oh yeah it was it was everything and tell steve jobs i love apple but steve killed flash Yes, he um, did. I had this project that I created, which was atoms spinning around each other. And I had everybody create that, and we walked through it. And so when they create something cool, not Hello World, but actually something that looks like something you'll stick on your site, then people really get into that. That's really cool. So, so kind of more engaging and more interactive was, was your key to teaching a good class? Yeah, and things like um, when I was teaching Cisco, I had range. Um, <laughs> I would go in. And I would say, everybody, you know, make sure you uh, write mem, which is um, write your configuration to flash to store. Yeah, and I'd say it a couple times, okay. And I would just walk by somebody and I'd turn off the unit and kill the routers. I'll help you wrote to flash. <laughs> just to just a just a sanity <laughs> well, check because, them and make sure they were doing it. Well, and also, you know what? It hurts when you spend a couple days getting everything right, and I just destroy it in one one hit 
And as I pointed out, when you're in a data center, you forgot to write mem and the data center went down. So I'd rather you suffer now in the classroom than later. Brutal. You're like a boot camp instructor or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but, but some of that, you know, it's just different things. And that's engagement too. For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I, I found the same thing as like, even if I had good curriculum and was giving good resources and was teaching good stuff, I had to disguise it as like entertainment, right? Try and be more more entertaining than than the apps on their phone, which is tough to do. You know what I mean? Fortunately, I didn't have to worry about the phone. <laughs> nice. Very cool. That, that helped. Because uh, the iPhone didn't come out two, until 2007. I was in like 2001, 2002. Way back in the day. Oh, nice. Old. old school. Nice. <laughs> so... Just had the internet, and, and that was pretty crappy. <laughs> nice. It wasn't Web 2.0 yet. Okay, so now you took your course and decided, hey, I'm a superstar. I'm making lots of money now. I'm going to just quit Airbnb and go full-time on my own, hang up my own shingle. Yeah, so um, never a superstar, um, and never, never, never making like Scrooge McDuck uh, swimming through the gold coins in my in my layer of money, but yeah, I think the basic idea was um, was using the product every day, improving on it. By the third year of working on this side project, uh, it eclipsed my salary, and then a couple years later, um, ended up going full time on it. Uh, I probably could have gone jumped the ship a bit earlier, but. I just had some stuff like in my life that I wanted to to finish. I, I felt unaccomplished at Airbnb. Sure. I still wanted to be there, um, and was still continuing to work on the product. And I was also a little scared. I, I had had the failed business before um, at oh. a university, and I and I was really embarrassed by it. And I, I knew how bad it could go. And so I took my time, kind of leaving uh, before jumping from Airbnb. I have a question on that. And I've I've read this before. I haven't experienced it myself, but I've read it. Were you at that point where you were losing money because your day job was getting in the way of what you're doing? Because I've been told that's when you jump, is when your business is doing so well that your actual day job is interfering with what you're doing. Interesting. Um, I've never done that exact calculation because, you know what, it probably would have been, I mean, from a pure salary perspective, yeah, the, the job probably interfered for... For a year or two on the on the on the business, um, right? That's forty hours you or fifty or whatever however many hours you weren't working on the business that was already earning more money than your salary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in general, yeah. But I guess the other thing too to think about, and this is the beauty of um, modern web applications and and media these days, is is just kind of the nature of the selling while you sleep sort of stuff. So, like the, the great mm -hmm. part about media that scales. This is why my, the, the initial business of physically teaching in person, I really loved it. I enjoyed it a lot, but it was a terrible business. <laughs> it was a really, really <laughs> bad business, right? And even though I liked it a lot, it, it doesn't scale. We could only have a couple users at a time. I did a big revenue share with the co-working spaces, you know, was paying taxes in San Francisco, buying the, right. the students lunch, that kind of stuff. Um, when you film the course once and put it online and you wake I was going to ask that. Um, one question on that. I've heard this before as a way to do an online course is to do a couple courses in person, give it to them at a huge discount with them understanding they'll be on camera, filming the course while you do it and then put that on. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a good way to do it as well. Um, 
I've now we're probably on the eighth or ninth version of the the course now, and I've done a lot of different ways. Um, I've done users in the classroom that are on camera. I've done just me in front of the camera. Anyone that was on camera that we uploaded later, yeah, they actually were free. Uh, no, none of them ever paid. So, um, yeah, they were all free, but that is, that is uh, one way to do it for sure. Yeah. Does that help your energy? I'm, I'm just curious because, you know, when you, you know, we were talking about the tap dance earlier, I, I find that if I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the monitor, I know. Yeah. Uh, if you click over here, um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's about right. Right. But when you're having to actually perform, People are watching you. You're getting immediate feedback. Do you find the energy levels better? I mean, you have to stand on a mark, but for sure, um, it's definitely better. So we, I've done it without, and I, I, you after you've done it a lot of times, you can sort of get the energy Visualize. up, but it takes more effort. It's way easier when mm-hmm. you have an audience and you have to perform. You just sort of it sort of it's a forcing function to make you not suck, <laughs> right? And <laughs> well, exactly. And and if you don't have it, you can still not suck, but you have to put more work in emotionally and mentally. You know what I mean? Right. And that would be the other problem is I might push it too hard because I mean somebody can kind of look at me like, dude, uh, okay, you know, I can sort of tell <laughs> their expressions like, hey, he's turn it on, Captain Sunshine, right, and right. that might be. <laughs> I've been guilty. I've been accused of being Captain Sunshine in the past before. That is for sure. <laughs> so I know what you're talking about. Yeah. All right. So now I want to go through the journey because you wrote out this um, great piece called Burning the Boats. And I'm going to put a link to it. And you break down exactly how your revenue worked because a lot of people are saying, okay, well, I may get a lot of money and boom, I'm going to quit my day job. You kind of write out a scenario that says that maybe it's not such an easy decision. Yeah. Or the other way to describe it is that most of the entrepreneurship stories you're reading about are filled with lies. Is <laughs> is is another way to describe it. Or that our entire society is filled with survivorship bias and uh, oh, yes. pretty much ignore 99% of, of everything you read is kind of the, <laughs> the summary. But yeah, so... Um, yeah, with my story, I mean, I laid out all the the revenue numbers in this blog post and basically said, um, kind of laid out the whole the whole journey. And yeah, I'm just pulling it up here. Um, so if you look at it in isolation and you look at the business now, um, you know, we're on we're on. I can just read them out now. Like we're on track for four hundred ninety thousand dollars this year, and um, we're only working to to keep the company up and running. It's about ten hours a week. That Fantastic. one that one moment in time looks great right like if i just said that and then signed off now (laughs) everyone would be like this is awesome um but there's another way to think about it which is like this is year eight of the business right let's look at year 2012 right there's a hours per week and a a revenue number on that one yeah 2012 the year i started was um 20 hours a week for eleven thousand dollars on the entire year um and then you know the next two years after that, forty nine thousand dollars the next year, and then one hundred and seventeen thousand in the third year. That was the year it eclipsed my my salary. And it's interesting because you know there's this trope, right? Like startups are hard. Most startups fail. Seventy five percent of small mm-hmm. businesses fail in five years or three years or whatever the, the the number is. And so at this third year, I thought like I've made it, right? It's the third year. Mm-hmm. It eclipsed my salary. 
I'm a, I'm the greatest gift God has ever given to anyone. I'm like the smartest guy in the world. And then as I was writing this this blog post, I was I did a walk and I like went kind of walked through my neighborhood and I walked past a Panda Express. And in the in the which is a for any international listeners is a a, ch- a chain fast Chinese fast food restaurant <laughs> in the U.S. Right. And there was this sign in the window that said "Now hiring regional managers sixty five thousand dollars." a year. And I just went back to my numbers and I looked at the first three years of the business, which I thought I had succeeded. I thought I'd done well, <laughs> right? I had taken risk. I had invested a bunch of money, time and effort into this thing. And then I laid out the mm-hmm. numbers and $65,000 a year for three years, I would have made more money managing a Panda Express than I would have working on this, this business. Humbling. <laughs> Humbling. And I think, yeah, the reality is, is like, Okay, there's some people who they're like, they're, maybe they're thinking about a side project, but they'll never pull the trigger for a number of different reasons, and that's fine. And then there's other people who um, they're thinking about a side project, and maybe they will pull the trigger given the right circumstances, but they're nervous and they have reservations, and maybe they have a good job, and maybe they have a family, and maybe they have other things. And I guess I, I've come to the conclusion that I was sort of guns blazing, had no obligations to other people and was able to roll the dice and was thinking like everyone that doesn't try and start a business is an idiot. Right. And I'm smarter than them. And you had another advantage that I think you're missing too. Which is what, what do you think? Your, your day job perfectly aligned with what you were selling. So you were teaching the same course at Airbnb that you were teaching people outside of Airbnb. So you, conveniently could be developing it all the time and you didn't have that issue that a lot of people do where their day job is completely different than their side hustle. So you could get away with doing 20 hours a week or whatever you said versus the 50, 60 hours a week that somebody probably have to kill themselves in order to get the same traction. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Yep. And, and I wrote about that in the post as well. That's kind of a term that's been coined recently called exit velocity. Um, which is the basic idea is that, yeah, your, your current employer is paying you to add value every day and do all these things. And you should leverage as much, much of that as possible in your, in your project. But you're right. And I, and I, and I think I, I'm much more, um, it's funny. Like when I was a 22 year old idiot trying a business, I had no experience in, I was really confident. And then 10 years later, after a decade of experience and a side project that had eclipsed my salary and all these other advantages, I was way less confident, I think, because I, I knew how bad it could go. You know what I mean? And and how, how old is your average recruit in the military? <laughs> yeah, probably. We need young, dumb people for a reason. I mean, yeah, I mean as, a, <laughs> as a young, dumb person, I, I, I get it, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I understand when people are, are, are contemplating that jump. Like, I, I go back to my, you know, I quote unquote made it on the third year of my business, and it would have been, I would have been better off at a Panda Express. So it's, it's, I didn't think this before, but now I do. It's very reasonable to be worried about this. Like, it, it can go bad. It, you might have a great job and it can go really bad. And so, um, it's just, it's just something worth, worth keeping in mind when you're on Instagram or you're reading entrepreneurship blogs and you see these people like I started this thing and you know tomorrow the next day I had a Lambo it's like what were your health benefits too by the way on on click-minded, click-minded. yeah I mean none <laughs> well I bet the Panda Express uh, regional manager is pretty good uh, um, all, <laughs> <healthcare>. <laughs> all of it healthcare 
free, I'm just saying, that's free general sales, all you can eat, right? Like, uh, there's probably all kinds of things. All, I mean, the stability, this is the game we're all playing, right? This, the, the stability of, uh, of that versus doing something else. And I've met other entrepreneurs that they, they ended up dropping what they were doing and getting a job because they want to check out at five. They want to spend more time with the kids, right? It's, oh, okay. it's not about the money. It's more about time, actually. So, um, it, it, well, there's actually a running joke that, um, the, entrepreneur will work 20 hours a day so he doesn't have to work nine to five <laughs> right exactly work 80 hours a week so you don't have to work 40 right something like that yeah or, or report when they tell you <laughs> right, right yeah yeah it's true I, yeah if you don't like your boss then you suddenly you get rid of your boss and then you suddenly have ten thousand new bosses with with your individual customers right something like that so yeah, it just kind of depends on what you're looking for, you know? So now, when would you say you actually did get the velocity and pull out to where you can say, I am comfortable, this, you know, I got this clock running, and now I would rather do this than be a Panda Express <laughs> manager? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so for me, like we were kind of saying before, if you're working on a side project and it's starting to grow, the decision calculus is actually way easier if you hate your job, right? Like if you don't like your job, it's it's pretty straightforward. Um, what's my living expenses? Where's the revenue of my thing? <laughs> like the minute it crosses, I'm out of here, right? Um, for me, it was right. different. I, I liked my job. I was at Airbnb at a time that was kind of wild. I mean, the, the company was exploding. No one had heard of it when I joined. Everyone had heard of it when I left. I worked on a Super Bowl ad my first, my last week there. Uh, th that kind of stuff. It was sexy. It, it was. You were there when it was. It was sexy. sexy. It was sexy. Um, but also to exactly what your your point was around the exit velocity and um, in the post I have it here, the definition of it just so. Um, so people are aware, right? Exit velocity is the amount of professional and entrepreneurial momentum you have when quitting your job and starting a new venture. Momentum can come from a variety of sources, investment, capital, experience, anchor clients, industry knowledge, and connections, aka unfair advantage. So I guess for me, part of it was like, okay, I like my job. I had other stuff going on in my life. Like I was dating someone. I like my friends, like that kind of stuff. But also like mm -hmm. every day I was still working, I was not only improving the product, but I was the SEO manager at Airbnb at the product, right? And so you could argue if I left too early, it would actually have like slowed it down. And, you, and, and you're and mm you -hmm. right. Someone who, like the example I've used before is someone who goes to law school, they become an attorney, and then they suddenly want to sell like CrossFit jump ropes. You're, you're right. You, you right. can't do that um, for the firm, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? So No, I mean, it's completely contrary. Right. I, I, I work with database stuff during the day. Uh, that's not really doing a podcast. Yet. Right, right, right. <laughs> Just not compatible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, so for me, it was, I think it was a combination of, but the first business went so bad that I was very aware of how bad it could go. And I mm -hmm. really, well, I, again, something I accidentally did right. I, I sort of was, was stacking as many unfair advantages in my favor as I could before I left because I, I knew how bad it, it could go. And so, yeah, you're right. I was doing search engine optimization at two of the biggest sites in the world. I was teaching search engine optimization on the weekends. I was using that product on my own teams. I had the brand credibility of the companies I was at. I was improving it every single day. Um, and then, yeah, surprise, surprise. Uh, I worked on it until it eclipsed my salary. And then when I left, even though I stumbled really hard out of the gates and made a lot of mistakes, I had, I had 
stacked the mm-hmm. deck so much in my favor that um that it ended up working. And even that, just selling your business, you are the guy who did PayPal and Airbnb. So you have the cred. That that's <laughs> that was th- a, that's one of the angles as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well cool. Now to wrap things up, what would you recommend for the next person attempting to do the side hustle? Yeah. So um I have two like I have two big things that can conflict as well. The first one is exit velocity. And that's what we just talked about. And that's very like kind of quantitative. It's like practical advice, right? Like you're doing something, (laughs) someone's paying you to do it already, let it compound, take that credibility and then run to the next thing with it. That's like practical. Um, But the the other one is around, and I just, I I love this quote and I'm obsessed with this guy, Naval Ravikant. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's like a venture capitalist, (laughs) uh, tech, tech investor kind of guy, but he's, he's on Twitter and he's kind of become like the tech world's Buddha, something like that. Mm. And uh, he's got this, 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 he tweeted this out once and he said, um, what feels like work for your competition should feel like play to you. And Mm. it's kind of a, 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 a dorky hallmark moment. It's like the classic do what you love and then you're never a day at work. Right. But for me, it was interesting because I tried other side projects and some of them failed, mm. some of them worked. But the ones that worked, if I didn't like them, if it was hard to wake up on Saturday morning to work on them, they never took off. And I think people underrate how important it is to be personally interested in it. So my 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 two big takeaways, and they can conflict, is exit velocity, which is the practical advice. Mm. And um, it should what feels like work to your competitors should feel like play to you. Cause Naval's point here is that if you're working six, eight, 12, 16 hours a day and it's work for your competitors and it's play mm-hmm. for you along a t- long enough time horizon, you can't really lose, right? If, if you're playing that whole time. And so I, what what ClickMind has made me realize as we're on year eight of this business is focusing on mm-hmm. stuff that feels like play. You know, I was a nerd as a kid. Computer games became search engine optimization for me. I also love to teach. I was doing this stuff when it wasn't making any money. And then surprise, surprise, I still love doing it every day. I was doing a lot of this stuff before this call <laughs> with you, right? So it's it, it, on a long enough time horizon, if it feels like play to you, it's kind of inevitable that that it's going to work. Do you have a team? Yep. We have a small team of five. Okay. So I, I just thought of another thing while you were talking about that quote and it is something about, uh, use your genius or, um, work with your genius. For example, I do everything on this podcast, which means I research guests. I interview. I'm also the marketing team of one and I would rather not edit. I would rather spend even more time researching you to ask weird questions (laughs) and spend more time, you know, having a good interview with you Um, because that's my quote genius. So is that kind of what you do too, is anything that doesn't fit in his play, you push to somebody else. Exactly. And the, the bone, so that's, I agree with that a hundred percent. That's how you should work as a founder. The bonus is the people you push that off to what you push mm-hmm. off to them should be their genius. And that's right. the, that's the, the double whammy that's worked for us is that the team we have now, um, my, my now co-founder works on nothing but 
automations and connecting a lot of different things and kind of the engineering, kind of the CTO and product guy. We have another person who's just mm-hmm. focused on 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 tracking and analytics and a and a and a lot of these really comprehensive tutorials. And it doesn't sound like it sounds very dry to most people, but this guy absolutely loves it, right? And our video guy, our video editor guy, just like lives, breathes, and sleeps Adobe Premiere, right? And so, but what I've accidentally did correct with the team was I mostly found people that really love this stuff. I asked them what they what they think we should do. Like, hey, here's the business. Here's the idea. What should we do? And every single time they've been had a better plan than I had. And so every single time I just got out of their way and it's, and it's ended up working out. So never hire yourself. Try not to. Or somebody just like <laughs> yeah. you. You want people who are complimentary or different. For sure. If I found another Tommy out there, I would definitely not hire that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't trust him. <laughs> would, would not trust him at all. Not at all. <laughs> Well, hey, on that note, where can people find you, Tommy? Yeah, we're at clickminded.com. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Tommy Griffith. And we got a bunch of free checklists, cheat sheets, templates, and mini courses over at, over at ClickMinded. So come check it out. Yeah, you guys have a really good marketing book that kind of sums it all up into one. I'll put a, that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about the strategy guide? Yeah. Yeah, we just we le- released like this 8-bit retro SEO and digital marketing strategy guide. So if you ever played like Nintendo or Super Nintendo in the 90s. Minecraft. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Kind of the 8-bit style. So you can check it out. Check it out there. Well, fantastic. And hey, thank you so much for coming on, man. Eric, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that, that really scares me. Yeah, I had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com.